So, today, we, uh, the title of the message, as you guys can see on the screen, is Joseph's Faith and God's Faithfulness. Joseph's Faith and God's Faithfulness. And as an introduction, we're going to be looking at three different things, three different points that I want to bring up during this message. The first, we're going to take a look at God's faithfulness before the life of Joseph. We're going to look at his ancestry as a precursor. And then in the main portion of the message, we'll take a look at God's faithfulness during the life of Joseph, through his faith and his family ties. And finally, to conclude, we'll look at God's faithfulness to his family and to the offspring of Joseph. Now, I just want us to look again at the Bible. I know there was a passage that we saw earlier during our series, and first, we always need to look and remind ourselves of the word faith and how it is defined in God's word. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The key word in this passage is the word sure, which is synonymous with the words certainty, trustworthy, steadfast, which means firm in belief and faithful. Something which is incapable of failing, destined to do well. And in today's message, we're basically going to take a look at Joseph's faith, but more importantly, we're going to look at God's faithfulness through it all. So in the passage um, that was shared, actually the passage, the verse that we were supposed to be looking at, is in Hebrews 11, verse 22. If everybody could turn their Bibles to Hebrews 11, verse 22. We see that by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. This verse is a direct reference to the passage that is found in the book of Genesis chapter 50, verse 25, which writes, And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely, there's that word sure again, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. But this passage that we see in Genesis 50, verse 25, is an actual flash forward to the end of Joseph's life. But in order for us to get a greater understanding of this passage and the significance that it holds, we'll need to go back. We'll need to go way, way back to a time where God Almighty made an oath to the great-grandfather of Joseph, Abraham. God made that same oath to the grandfather of Joseph in Isaac. And God also made an oath to his father, Jacob, who will later be known as Israel. And as we see in Genesis 22, verse 17, God first said to Abraham, I will surely, 
I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, in regards to the burial of the bones, which is what the focus of the scripture reading is about, the burial of the bones, the way that it all started, to give you guys a a history. After Abraham's wife Sarah passed away in the land of Cana, Abraham paid for a field, and on that field there was a cave, the cave of Machpelah. So basically, Abraham purchased a land that's later on going to be used as a burial site for his family and for his descendants. So what happens is that eventually, as time progressed, that very same land in the cave of Mishpelah, which Abraham purchased, was the place where he himself was buried, alongside of his wife. As we see in Genesis 26, verses 2 to 5. Now, just to keep in mind, when Abraham was buried, he had his two sons. Ishmael and Isaac. And to Isaac, Joseph's grandfather, whom God also appeared to, the God and the Lord appeared to Isaac in Genesis 26, verses 2 to 5, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. This is going to be a very key precursor to the life of Joseph. But for now, the Lord said to Isaac, Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So we went from Abraham to God's oath to Isaac, and then we go to Joseph's father, Jacob, who's later going to be known as Israel. And God said in Genesis 35, verses 10 to 12, God said to him, your name is Jacob. But you will no longer be called Jacob. You will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. Kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. And now before I finally go from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and finally to Joseph, I'd like to share with you guys two things to know about Jacob. Two things to know about Joseph's father. The first thing is this. He had an older brother, Esau. And with Esau, 
It was a brother whom he managed to trick into selling him his birthright, which is the rights of the inheritance of the firstborn, which would rightfully be Esau. And Jacob, not only did he take the birthright of his older brother, but he also took his blessing that was supposed to be given to him by his father. And as we see in chapters 25 and 27 of Genesis, we discover the story about how he took the birthright and how he also took the blessing. That's the first thing to know. The second thing to know about Joseph's father, Jacob, is that he truly loved, he truly loved his beautiful wife, Rachel, more than anyone else. Now, when it was time, when it was time for Jacob to find a wife, he fell in love with Rachel, who's the daughter of Laban. Laban was Joseph's uncle. And basically, he had two daughters. The oldest one, named Leah, and the youngest one, Rachel. And in Genesis 29, verses 17 to 18, it says, Leah, the oldest one, had weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So to make a super long story short, Jacob worked for his uncle Laban for seven years. Seven years just so that he could have the youngest daughter, Rachel, in marriage. But keep in mind, for him, for Jacob, those seven years went by fast because he was in love. It went by fast, and then when the time came and the seven years were up, he went back to his uncle and saying, asking to have his daughter, Rachel, the youngest one in marriage. But when that happened, when those seven years were up, his uncle had a change of heart. And instead of giving his youngest daughter, Rachel, the one that's known to be beautiful, instead he gave his oldest daughter, Leah, the one that's weak of eyes, instead. Now, he managed eventually to convince, to convince Jacob of married, getting married to the oldest daughter. And he said, it wouldn't be right for Jacob to get married to the youngest if ever the oldest one is not married first. But he said, if you still want to have the youngest daughter as your wife, you'll need to work another extra seven years for me. You'll need to work another extra seven years for me. Ultimately, Jacob accepted. He accepted because he was in love with Rachel. So those are the two things that I want you guys to remember as we're going to be going to the story of Joseph, which is going to help to clarify a few things. Now, this is when Joseph comes into the picture. This is when things start to get a bit more interesting. And when you start to look at the order and the circumstances under which Jacob's sons were born, as seen in Genesis chapter 29, I'm just going to show you guys a little chart 
that was made, that I worked on. And then the chart is going to help us to get a better understanding of the order in which the sons of Jacob were born. And whether you look at Genesis chapter 35, if you guys even want to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 35 or 46, it's always interesting when you start to study those chapters because in both cases, the list of the names of Jacob's sons is not written in the actual order in which they were born, as explained in Genesis chapter 29 and 30. In the chart, we're going to look at the actual order in which each one of Jacob's sons were born. First, the firstborn was Reuben. Leah, the oldest sister, the one that's weak of eyes, gave birth to Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah. We'll stop here. When all these children were coming, in the meantime, keep in mind that Rachel was also married to Jacob. She was getting jealous. She was getting antsy because she wasn't able to produce any children of her own. It got so bad, and then the tension and, and the frustration was building up. It got so bad, it got to a point that she got, Rachel got her own maidservant, as provided by her father. Her maidservant named Bilha produced two children for her, two sons, Dan and Naphtali. While this is happening, the older sister, Leah, is seeing this, and she's starting to get frustrating because she wasn't able to produce more kids after Judah. So instead, what she did, she brought her maidservant into this, 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 this whole sibling rivalry, I would say. So you have the maidservant, Zilpah, who's the maidservant of Leah, the oldest daughter. So Zilpah produced for Jacob two sons, Gad and Asher. After that, God had mercy on Leah, opened up her womb again, and she was able to produce two more sons, number nine and ten, Issachar and Zebulon. And after all this, after all these children, because there was also daughters in there, but we're focusing on the sons. After all these sons were born, finally, in God's mercy, Rachel was able to give birth to Joseph. And later on, Benjamin. So, you see, actually, now keep in mind that Jacob's second youngest son and Joseph, he was the second youngest son, and he was the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. Unfortunately, she passed away while giving birth to Benjamin, who's Joseph's only brother who came from the same mother. And she passed away giving birth to the youngest, Benjamin. Now that you have all this history as a backdrop, let's look at God's faithfulness during Jacob's lifetime. Now in scripture, it says that 
Now Israel, Israel, that's Jacob, as God changed his name, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had seen, he had been born to him in his old age. He made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved them more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. That's found in Genesis 37, verses 3 to 4. So not only that, not only did his father love Joseph so much, but I wanted to specify that Joseph was Rachel's son. To Jacob, Joseph is the reminder of his beloved one, the one that he loved and who's no longer with him. Furthermore, Joseph was described as a good-looking guy. He was the pretty boy of the bunch and probably looked a lot like his mom, if ever you compare him to his other half-brothers. But in return, his half-brothers did not like the favoritism that their father was demonstrating. They didn't like that one bit, especially when Joseph told his half-brothers that he had not one but two dreams, two dreams in which his brothers would be bowing down to him. It only made matters worse. You guys could just imagine. These are the sons of Jacob. These are the sons of Jacob. They knew the story of what happened when their father took their uncle's birthright and blessing. They're Jacob's son. These are the stories that have been passed on from generation to generation. And they were probably aware of the tension and resentment that was building up between their mothers because they were in that environment every day. So after Joseph shared the dream that he received, behind his back, his half-brothers would always mockingly call him the dreamer. Oh, here comes Joseph with his dreams. That was what they were always doing behind his back. And they even wanted him dead. And that resentment got worse turned into hatred, and it built up to the point that they stripped him of that nice ornamented robe that his father made, and they threw him into an empty cistern. That's usually where you would find water, but at that point when they threw him in there, it was empty. And they even wanted to give a false testimony to their father by telling him that his son Joseph got killed and devoured by a wild animal. And they would even use his ornamented robe, they would rip it up and they were thinking about taking that as an evidence to their, his son's death. That was what they were planning, that is what they were scheming, and that's what they were planning on doing. But from there, instead of leaving him for dead in the cistern, the brothers sold Joseph as a slave to some Ishmaelite merchants for 20 shekels. I just want to show you guys a map just to give you guys perspective. This is the land of Cana, and eventually the travel that's going to be happening all down to Egypt to bring Joseph as a slave to work for Potiphar, whom, to whom he's going to later be sold to. 
But before I go longer into the story of Joseph, I just want to share you guys and stop here and share you guys something. As harsh as it is to imagine this scenario, the scenario of brothers trying to sell their other brother into slavery, for me personally, it it hit close to home, but not in the way that you would think. Because I too... I also have two older siblings from the same mother and the same father. I have parents who had been married for more than 30 years. But I also happen to have a half-brother who's only eight years old. Maybe about one year older than my oldest daughter. So personally, I've been struggling with the thought of having a much younger half-brother, what it represents to me, how it affects my life, how it affects my relationship with my father, as well as how it would interact with the young boy and what he's going to expect from me as he gets older. There's a lot of baggage there. And it's only during the process of preparing for this very message that I realized just how much I truly need to abandon all these thoughts to God in order to find true forgiveness and to keep it, instead of keeping it locked in, where it rots inside the heart. In the name of Jesus, God Almighty is the only one who could truly restore and cleanse a heart. He's the only one who could restore brokenness. and He's the only one who could bring about true forgiveness and deliver people from deep-seated anger. That may, sh- that may not even show on the surface. But it still separates us from the grace and the truth of God. So in a similar manner in which the grace of God is helping me right now through my own struggle or my struggles in life, God's faithfulness has been the anger, the anchor, sorry, in the life of faith of Joseph. Because in spite of being sold into slavery by his own brothers, in spite of being falsely accused of sleeping with the wife of the man they was later sold to, Joseph still told Potiphar's wife when she wanted to sleep with him, he told her, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph said that to her in the land that did not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He still had faith in God, even though he was in an area where God was not even known, was not even praised. His faith did not stumble. He didn't let the frustration get the best of him. He still spoke about God regardless of where he was. In spite of of being thrown into prison for 13 years after he was falsely accused and he was innocent of all the accusations by Potiphar's wife, God still gave Joseph favor in the eyes of the prison warden in spite of being forgotten by the cupbearer, the cupbearer that Joseph helped out while they both were in prison. God never forgot Joseph. In spite of all these horrible situations that could only make someone bitter, angry, 
deeply frustrated, in spite of all these things, Joseph still had faith in God. And God had always been faithful to Joseph. Regardless of how his current circumstances looked like from the outside, I'm saying that so that you could be encouraged. When you're going through hardships, when it seems that it's been there for a long time, God is still faithful. But most importantly, you have to give it all to God. In order to move on, you have to give it all to God. So when the mighty Egyptian pharaoh, the ruler of the Egyptian throne, couldn't find anyone to interpret his recurrent dreams, Joseph was called upon to help him. In Genesis 41, verses 15 and 16, if we could all turn to Genesis 41, verses 15 to 16. So in Genesis 41, verses 15 to 16, it says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, replied Joseph to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph always acknowledged God and gave him all the glory, regardless of who he was with. And by helping out the Pharaoh, Joseph was later entrusted as his second in command, the second most powerful person in in Egypt. Joseph became that person. And he was tasked with the large responsibility of dealing with the entire land of Egypt, who was about to face a great time of famine for seven years. And he was responsible for handling this whole situation that was coming into the land. And that was because he managed to, by the grace of God, interpret the dream of Pharaoh that was seeing in his dreams that this famine was about to hit the land. So, During this time of famine that was widespread, when Joseph was sold as a slave, he was 17. When he was 17, it was during that time that he served as a slave to Potiphar. It was during that time after that he was in prison for many years. And finally, after when he helped out, and he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. That was 13 years later. So that would make him 30 years old. And 13 years later, Joseph came face to face with his very own brothers who were in need of food and did not recognize him. But Joseph recognized them. And at that moment, Joseph remembered the dream that God had given him. That same dream where his brothers would bow down to him, that same dream came true as his brothers bowed down to him, not just once, but on more than one occasion. And to make a very long story short, 
when Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers, who left him for dead and sold him as a slave, by the grace of God, Joseph forgave them. He cried and he wept with his brothers instead. And at the end, Joseph got reunited with his younger brother, Benjamin, and his father, Israel, whom they both thought he was dead. And they missed him dearly. And eventually, during this story, we find out that Jacob, also known as Israel, would pass away. So when his father passed away, Joseph and his brothers took the body of their father and returned it back from Egypt to Cana in order to be buried in the same cave, the cave of Meshpalah, alongside their great-grandfather, Abraham, and their grandfather, Isaac. So finally, in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21, in Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us? And pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I, give, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. At verse 18 it says, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. We'll stop here. To conclude, while Joseph and his brothers returned and stayed in Egypt after their father Israel passed away, at the beginning of this message, I shared with you the scripture verse found in Genesis 50, verse 25. I'll go back. Genesis 50, verse 25, which writes, And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Before I showed you when Joseph went from Cana to Egypt, but to get significance of what that means after is when we look at what happened during the Exodus. So these words that I just mentioned in Genesis 50 verse 25, these words were spoken in faith by Joseph and came to pass when Moses led the Jews out of Egypt. 
And as we discover in the book of Exodus 13, verse 19, in Exodus 13, verse 19, it says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Moses basically fulfilled that oath 400 plus years after Joseph had spoken them in faith. Joseph said it. More than 400 years later, it came to pass. As a final note, we went to how things look like back in the Old Testament. This right here is the map of our current day and age. God's faithfulness is not just exclusive to Abraham's descendants, but thanks be to Jesus Christ, God's faithfulness has been extended to all Gentiles who believe and have faith in God's only begotten Son. As the Apostle Paul bridges together the descendants of Abraham to the children of God, we should take a look at the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. If we could all turn our Bibles to Galatians, chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. And I'm going to close on that note. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8, it says in God's word, Understand then, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God will justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Later on, in Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the Bible. Pray, Father God, that you let your spirit speak into our lives. So whenever we have challenges and we have struggles and we feel that we've been unfairly treated, we have deep burdens that only we know of, we have deep hurts and it's hard to forgive. I pray that by your spirit, Father God, you will help us to overcome. May we lay our burdens at your feet. 
may we truly humble ourselves as your people because it's only through your son Jesus that we could really have a restoration and be redeemed and be restored and hold on to your truth and to your grace and not just for a momentarily time on earth but even beyond in your kingdom of heaven I want to say thank you Father God for being faithful because if it wasn't for your faithfulness we would not have any faith you have been faithful Father God and you have given us reasons to have faith to be sure and to trust in you and to have that certainty in the promises of your son Jesus and one day may we hold on to the truth of being reunited with our Father in Heaven and to really have a fullness and understanding of everything that you've promised us. In the name of Jesus, we pray.